Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who prayed for my son, River. Uh, if you don't know, he went to the ER yesterday. He's one and a half, really violent stomach bug all Friday night and Saturday morning. The doctor was like, you need to take him into the ER now. And uh, they took him in. We were able to get him on an IV and, and anti-vomiting meds, and he's doing better now. He's still, still weak, but he's out of the hospital. He's back. So thank you to everyone who prayed. Uh, even though this was a full weekend with World Mandate, a kid in the ER didn't sleep much last night. I want you to know I am so excited to preach to you today. I am so excited, and I normally I like to preach, and I'm an excitable guy. I'm a passionate guy. But what we're going to talk about today, I think, is so significant. And it has such power in it to change and transform our lives and to, to bless us all. And I believe that God is sowing his word this morning, sowing his seed this morning into our lives. And I want us all to be open and hungry and be that receptive soil that we've been learning about. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible uh, and get out your journal. And if you didn't bring something to write with, we have journals we can give you so you can take notes. We want to take these things in that we're learning from Jesus. We love you and we want to see you grow. And I want to grow too. And so let's be hungry as we learn. But I'm so fired up. We're going to be in Luke 9 and we're at a little bit of a transition here in the gospel of Luke. Jesus is leaving where he's been. And he's beginning his journey to Jerusalem. This is going to take from Luke 9 to Luke 19. Luke takes us on that journey. Some people call it a travel diary on the way to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to be tried, crucified, and raised from the dead. Kind of the crescendo of the gospel of Luke. And so for the next 10 chapters, we're going to read about stories, for lack of a better term, from the road. And these stories, uh, commentators say, are a little bit like a box of treasure. There's a whole lot of gold in here. There's a whole lot of valuable things. But it's really hard to see how one piece connects to the next, connects to the next. Here's a story about healing, and then deliverance, and then a teaching, and then another story about healing, and then deliverance, and then, and then this happens, and this happens, and then they get on some water, and then he does a miracle. And it's just kind of scattershot. And so what I hope to do as we travel through these passages is pull similar themes together to help us all see the bigger picture of what's going on here. So today we're going to look at three scriptures, Luke 9, one in Luke 9, one in Luke 10, and one in Matthew 28. The title of this series that we're beginning is Mission Gives Meaning. Mission Gives Meaning. And what we're going to see is that Jesus gives our lives a mission and that mission gives our lives meaning. And we are made and wired for meaning. The title of today's message is a vision or a mission worth living and dying for. A mission to live and to die for. Every person needs a mission. We are wired as people to long for meaning and mission that informs and shapes our lives. I want you to think back to maybe a high school history class or maybe a philosophy class, uh, maybe a gentleman you've heard before by the name of Viktor Frankl. And he was a Jewish a psychiatrist who was put in, uh, he was in Germany and was put in one of the concentration camps and lived through the Holocaust. And as he was in the concentration camp, he began to observe what were the characteristics of the people who made it through the concentration camp and those who, who didn't. And he saw there was a common denominator Amongst the people who made it, that, that although age affected some things and education affected some things and health affected some things, the common denominator amongst them all 
was that they had a mission and a meaning to their lives, a mission and meaning in the suffering that they were going through. And they held on to that, and that gave them resiliency. That gave them courage. That gave them hope to continue to press on because they had a meaning. And he said when people lost sight of their meaning, when people lost sight of their mission, when it just kind of seemed like, what is happening? He said that's when people would go downhill. People needed a meaning to survive and to thrive. When he got out of the concentration camp, he began to study this theory even more. He studied people who were suffering from depression and people that were on the verge of suicide. And he worked with people to help them develop a mission and a meaning. And what he saw is that meaning and mission entered people's lives. They went up. Their trajectory went up. They were able to make it through the dark times they were going through because there was purpose behind it. And so he wrote a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. It's a very popular book. You might have read it. But in there, he breaks out this thesis. And as opposed to Nietzsche, who said that the common denominator, the common organizing principle amongst people is a will to power, that what our lives are ordered around is we want power, we want to control, we want to own, we want to dominate. Nietzsche said that's what defines us. As opposed to that, and as opposed to Freud, who said that, the, that we have a will to pleasure, that it's pleasure that dominates our lives and orders our lives as a central thing about humans is that we want pleasure. Frankel said, no, no, no. The main thing about people, the thing that unites us and that we're all wired for is a will for meaning, a will for meaning. As far as we know, there's no other living creature that wonders about the meaning of life or their own purpose. If you look at your dog, when you go home, he's not thinking a whole lot as he scratches himself, right? Or tries to get food. It just is what it is. But humanity, because we're made in the image of God, we're wired for purpose. You're wired for meaning. And when we have a meaning, when we have a mission, it shapes our lives. I love this quote by Frankel on the topic that I wanted to share with you. He said this. He said, evermore people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. When you look at the history of the world, today we have the, the best living standards ever in history. Uh, we have the least amount of hunger. We have all these diseases that have been eradicated. And he's saying, even though we have the means to live, there's still an epidemic in our world that's lack of meaning. So people don't have a meaning to live for. We need a meaning. We need a mission. So here's how most of us are taught to approach this. I'm going to share with you a little bit of my own story. And I bet there's going to be parts and pieces that you're like, yeah, I get, I get that. When I was in high school, I started to think about, what, 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 what am I going to do after high school? What's the purpose of, of my life, right? And you're about the age at that point where you've kind of, uh, I don't know, accepted reality that you're probably not going to be an astronaut you know, as you thought when you were six, or a professional basketball player that you thought, you know, for all this time, unless you're, you know, seven six like Sean Bradley, maybe it's clear, or seven four like Christophs Porzingis, it's like, okay. But for most of us, right, kind of reality is setting in. So it's like, well, what am I going to do, you know? And so I remember going to our, our guidance counselor at school. They had all the, you know, maybe sophomores or juniors meet with the guidance counselor. And we read a book. And the book uh, was supposed to help us discover our purpose, discover our meaning. 
And I remember reading it through, and its basic premise was the way you find your meaning in life is you figure out what you're passionate about. Figure out what makes you happy. Figure out what you're good at, and then go in that direction. I remember reading that, and I'd be like, whoa, that's a little bit overwhelming for me. Because I'm passionate like about 10,000 things. How do I choose? Like, how do, how do I just, it was just, it was overwhelming. And then we took this test uh, that, was, that would ask you questions and then would tell you, here are three or four jobs that you would be good at. Anybody take one of those kind of tests in high school? Yeah, we got a few, right? You take that test and you'd find out, oh, I could be a woodworker. Or I could be a, a, a doctor. Or I could be an army general. Or I could be a postman. I mean, it was just all sorts of stuff. I don't know how it worked. Um, but again, and that was supposed to be, okay, here's your purpose to latch on to. And I just found that incredibly overwhelming, anxiety-inducing, confusing. I was just like, I just don't even know. And uh, as an aside, my family and I, we lived overseas for a number of years in a third world country. And uh, grocery shopping there is a little bit of a different experience. There's just not as much selection. So you go to the grocery store and let's take cereal. Uh, there's two options, maybe. There's cornflakes and there's some sort of granola type cereal. They have one of the two. And uh, if you're there, you're like, okay, great. I guess I've got two options. I'll pick one. Sometimes they wouldn't have the second option, so the decision was made for you, right? It's very limited. But after a while, you get to enjoy. You're like, oh, this is simple. I, boom, gone. I'm ready to be done with the store. When we move back to the United States, the most overwhelming part of moving back, moving my country, we got some people that live overseas right now, they know. The most overwhelming part of moving my family, my wife is like six, seven, eight months pregnant. We have a little one. We have all these bags. We don't have a place to live. I mean, all this stuff. The most overwhelming part was the cereal aisle at the grocery store. Because I went from my two options to, I just want to walk you through, right? I went through the cereal aisle uh, this week just to kind of relive this, right? So you come to one cereal, amazing, Rice Krispie Treat cereal. They didn't have this when I was a kid. You know, when you see this and you're like, wow, I bet that's really, really good. But then you look next to it and oh, the classic Fruit Loops. Any Fruit Loop lovers? Yes, okay, so you see that and you're like, wow, this is a tough choice. But then you keep moving and you find the old favorite Cinnamon Toast Crunch, yes. And you think your problem is solved, right? Because you've got this. But then you find that there's now chocolate toast crunch. What do you do? If you didn't get enough sugar and cinnamon toast crunch, just throw a little chocolate on there. Okay? So then maybe you're like, well, Zach, I'm a healthier person. Crackling oat bran. You need to, you need to stay regular right here. That's you. We've got frosted shredded wheat, another, another all-time favorite. Cheerios, the regular kind. We're, we're going to have to turn these sideways. They've got so many options. And there's more. Okay, let's keep going. In addition to regular Cheerios, you have Honey Nut Cheerios. How do you know the difference between two? I don't know, but right, there's another option. Okay, if you're gluten-free, we've got blueberry checks. So gluten-free, you can get in on the game. And then 
Fruity Pebbles. You remember this? Oh, man. And a, and a close cousin, um, Lucky Charms. Now, question for you. Uh, these marshmallows, I don't even really know that they're marshmallows. Like, since when are marshmallows crunchy, you know? What are these marshmallows made out of? But, but we have Lucky Charms. It's a classic. It'll change the color of your milk, and that's cool. And uh, let's see what else we had. Cookie Crisp. Anybody like some Cookie Crisp? Got some fans? Just need a little chocolate in the morning. And the last kind I have now, but literally, there were a hundred other choices at the grocery store I didn't bring, uh, was Captain Crunch, the Crunch Berries, okay? So you have all of these options, all of these cereals, and I'm looking at the cereal aisle, and I'm like about to have my own panic attack. How do I know which one to choose? There's so many options. So then I started to think, well, I don't know. This chocolate toast crunch looks good. You know, it's kind of, oh man, that'll be, that'll be good. So you buy it and you go home and you, you know, you eat a little bit of it, have a couple bowls. You know, I don't know that's all it's cracked up to be. I wish I hadn't bought it. Like that's what you think, right? Or that's what you're thinking in the store. Well, how do I know which one I'm going to choose? This can be the right choice. Or, mm, that actually is good if you want to go to the grocery store <laughs> and buy it. Or, let's say that you find one that you, you really love, this Rice Krispie Treat cereal, and you're like, man, you start eating it, you love it. You go a year eating this. And then you find out that there's some chemical in it that causes cancer. And your life is basically over because... You've been eating this cereal, and it's just like overwhelming. How do I know which one to choose? And they try and mess with you. Like this one says whole grain on it as opposed to half grain. I don't know, but then you have gluten-free, and then you, then you read the paleo deal, and like, oh, grain is all bad, and it's just, wow, overwhelming, right? It's very similar when we start talking about this idea of finding our meaning through just, hey, figure out what you're passionate about. Figure out what you're good at. Figure out what makes you happy. You have all those same things like, okay, well, if I, if I choose this path, if this is my meaning, how do I know I'm really gonna, that's really gonna be what I want? How do I know I'm really gonna like that? How do, how do I know that if I get into this career or this relationship or this way to go uh, with my life that I'm not gonna get a little bit down the road? I'm like, eh, I don't think that was all that was cracked up to be. And I don't know about you, but how many of us change majors like 27 times in college over that principle? You're like, ah, I thought I wanted to be this, took a class, nah. Right, we have that, that fear. Some of us, though, we make it further into the, the box of cereal or further into the mission on meaning, right? And we get down there and we're like, oh, I really don't know if I chose the right one. That one over there looks better. Huh. And then you start to analyze it. You're like, well, maybe I'm just thinking the grass is always greener on the other side and really what I have is good. And you just get lost. Or you get later on in the journey and you've eaten kind of the whole box of cereal and you get to the end and you're like, wow, the thing that I ate and spent myself on actually destroyed me. And you have regrets. When we're left to choose our own meaning and to choose our own mission and just to kind of look within and figure that out, regardless of what every Disney movie tells you. Every Disney movie is the same thing. Don't listen to your parents. Just look inside and you'll come alive. But listen, 
the, if you, the people that have tried and done that, like I can tell you from experience, I can probably introduce you to a hundred others that can, you live that way, it does not lead to life, it leads to destruction, right? We are not wired as people to have sufficient strength to be able to define our own meaning. It's a weight that breaks us. When we receive that from Jesus, though, we receive something entirely different. And I want to read you a quote from William Willimon on this topic. He said, it's a great gift not to have to make your life mean something. Think about that. It's a great gift not to have to make your life mean something. It's a great gift not to have to walk into the supermarket of meaning and life choices and look at all the different options and then the weight be on you to figure out which one do I choose. That's a burden. It's a gift when you receive from your creator the meaning for which you were designed for. Like if you think about a train running along the tracks, the train flourishes when it runs along the tracks. It does the thing that it was made to do. When it jumps the tracks and tries to go its own way, it ends up crashing, right? In the same way, when we do the thing, when we receive our meaning from our creator and we live that, we come alive. And so Willimon says it's a great gift not to have to make your life mean something, but to have your life given significance by the Lord, whose cross, when taken up, takes us up as well. Think about that. In, in high school, uh, I was uh, graduated and I got voted most likely to become president. What do you do with that? How does that affect your college choice? I mean, it's just one of those things, right? So you're thinking, man, I'm going to be significant. I'm going to be special. I'm going to have a, you know, and then you live life and you realize like there's like 7 billion other people on the planet, you know, and you're just kind of average. And I hate to tell you that, but most of us, most of us aren't going to be Tom Brady. Most of us aren't going to be Donald Trump, for better or worse, on that one, right? Most of us aren't going to be president. Most of us aren't going to be the greatest quarterback or whatever. And so then we're just like searching for significance because we're wired for it, but how do we get significant? And we're just wrestling around. And he's saying that we receive from Jesus, we can have our lives be given a significance from Jesus that frees us up to live. This is the best news, guys. This is awesome. I was weighed down so much by the burden of trying to make my life mean something and make my life significant. And which one do I choose? And then you receive from Jesus a meaning that your creator has assigned to you, has given to you, and it's freeing. And it's a, it's a meaning worth living for. And it's a meaning worth dying for. And it fills our lives. And so I want to share with you about that meaning that we're going to see in the scripture. But I want you to catch this. It's a three-dimensional meaning. It's a 3D meaning. I got glasses on glasses today. Now, interesting story. Uh, I actually, when I was like 21 or 22, I learned that I have very, very little depth perception. I have a condition in my eye that I didn't know about that, yeah, really limits my depth perception. And when they told me that, I was like, wow, that explains so much. I wanted to be so good at baseball, but man, outfield, fly ball, <laughs> good luck, right? You know, just, I just, whatever. And I thought like there was something like, why couldn't I get this? I'm like, you know, what's wrong with me? 
And then I found out, oh, you actually have something that limits you, and it's not that you're a moron. It's just that, you know, your body can't do that. Wow, okay. So that ability to have depth perception, right, to see things in three dimension literally adds dimension to our lives. And the meaning that Jesus gives us is a three-dimensional meaning, and that's what we're going to see here. If you'll open your Bibles, Luke chapter 9. says this, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. I really encourage you to look on, on your own Bible and your own device or whatever it may be to let this sink in. When Jesus had called the 12 together, the 12 being the 12 apostles, the 12 original disciples, not the OGs, but the ODs, he calls them together. And what we see over and over and over about this call, this is not a one-off event, but that he is calling them to himself. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus called his disciples to be with him. That's one dimension of the calling of a disciple. So think about their lives. Every day was ordered around being with Jesus. Wake up in the morning, Jesus, uh, where are we going today? Well, we're going over to this town. We're going to go pray for this lady. Okay, let's do it. Jesus, what are we doing today? Well, we're going to take this boat across over here, and then we're going to teach some people. Okay, like every day... It was just about being with Jesus. Unless you think that boring, the being with Jesus is like the greatest joy you can have. The testimony of the saints is that in his presence is fullness of joy. So our lives are to be deeply marked by being with Jesus. That's what we spent the past month talking about here on Sunday morning. That was one dimension of their calling. That's why as a church, we want to be sons and daughters who encounter Jesus. It's part of where the life is. But not only were they to be with him as they were with him, as they did what he did, as they followed him, their lives were transformed. They began to uh, be like him. That doesn't mean that they became gods. It meant that their character started to reflect Jesus to the world. So in the place of pride, there was humility. In the place of greed, there was generosity. In the place of bitterness, there was forgiveness. They learned these things and they were transformed by these things through being with Jesus and following him and practicing his ways. And their character was transformed, the Bible says, from glory to glory. Church, I want you to hear me. You have such a significant calling in the area of being transformed. Your destiny is to be like Jesus. Your destiny is to reflect his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his hope that through you that he would shine. If you think about it, how can there be a higher calling or a greater significance about our lives than to reflect the most majestic, most transcendent, most beautiful God that created everything. Wow. Like, let that sink in. Like, like, really let it sink in. What a calling that you have, that you receive in coming to Jesus, a meaning that gives your life mission. So we see that here. But then notice what happens. He doesn't just call them to be with him, one dimension, 
He doesn't just call them to transformation, the kind of the inward deal, another dimension. But then he says, it says, he gave them, Jesus gave the disciples power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So all these things that we've seen Jesus doing this far in the gospel of Luke, now he gives that same power and authority to his disciples. Now, if you're a disciple, this is really exciting. You're like, whoa, I've got authority? I've got power to drive out demons and cure diseases? And I've got a message about the kingdom and I can heal the sick? This is amazing. (laughs) But then read the the next part. Uh, He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Wait, what? (laughs) I I, got to go out with no bag to carry with me, Uh, no food to eat, no money to buy food, not even extra change of clothes. This doesn't sound so cool, right? It kind of gets a little bit like, ooh, this is a little different, okay? So what you see here is that Jesus is not just calling his disciples to be with him and to become like him, but he is sending them out on mission to do what he'd been doing to build the kingdom, to make disciples. And that mission, that going out, it's very important that we see this. When we normally think about the way people take ground, it's either through military power, who has the bigger army, or it's through economic influence, who has the most money. In the way of Jesus, the way the kingdom of Jesus moves forward, it's neither through military power nor through economic influence, but it's through people going out weak, depending on the Holy Spirit, with lives marked by the love of God, with a message about the kingdom of God coming in the person of Jesus, with power that's not military power or power of like, I'm going to control you, but the power of the Holy Spirit transforming lives. That's how the kingdom of Jesus advances. And that's these disciples calling. Now, what I want you to see is that it's not just limited to them. Turn one chapter forward into Luke 10. Luke 10, so one chapter later, we read a very similar story. And you need to catch the repetition here. It said this, Luke chapter 10, verse one, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So in the first round, he's got 12 and he sends them out. In this second round, now he's sending out 72. So it's not just a few Christian superheroes that we read in the Bible that have this mission to go and make disciples and build the kingdom. No, it's expanding here. Where do those other 60-some-odd people come from? I don't know. Some commentators believe it's people who, on the first mission, Luke 9, experienced the kingdom of God, experienced the healing power of Jesus, and said, hey, I'm in. I want want to join in with this. That that's where they came from. We don't know. But what I want you to see, what's important to see, is that these people engaged in this mission is expanding. It's not reserved for a few disciples. Jesus is giving it to many disciples. And he said this in verse 2. He said, uh, the harvest is plentiful. We talked about that. But the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So get this. Jesus is not just wanting this mission to give meaning to 12 disciples or 72 disciples, 
But he's saying, look, we need to pray for more disciples, more laborers to go out and jump in on this mission of going out, of making disciples, of building the kingdom. Go, I am sending you out. And again, here's this dependence, like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. You want them to stay focused. He said, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. That's a confusing phrase that we're going to talk about in a few weeks. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. So he's giving them very specific instructions related to this mission on how they're to go. They're different than last mission. But this one, same idea, but there's some different particularities. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick, that's the same, who are there, and tell them, same message, the kingdom of God has come near. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from your feet as a warning to you. Okay, so as you go out, not everyone is going to receive this message. Not everyone is going to become a disciple of Jesus. Some people are going to reject him. God desires that whosoever may come, may come. But what we see over and over again is there are some people who reject God. And he's saying, that's unfortunate, but that's okay. That's what, what is going on here, right? And he says, tell those same people, even if they reject him, that the kingdom of God has come near. So whether people receive it or reject it, the kingdom of God has come near to everyone they encounter. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And I'll get to what that means in a few weeks. Now turning your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. And what we're going to see is this mission that Jesus gave the 12 in Luke 9, that he gave the 72 in Luke 10, now gets expanded even further. Matthew 28, we're going to be starting in verse 18. Jesus says, he came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth. This is Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So again, there's that word about authority that Jesus has. He says, in light of that, therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. That means the whole world. Go and make disciples. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I want you to know this. I am with you always to the very ends of the age. So they were going out on mission with Jesus. Now catch this. These disciples were to go and they were to make new disciples. And for those new disciples, they were to teach them everything that Jesus taught them. Not just to know it, but to live it. So think about what Jesus taught them. He taught these 12 to go and make disciples. So when they're going out and they're seeing people respond to Jesus, then they're like, okay, now you're a disciple and you're calling us to go and make more disciples and so on and so forth, generation upon generation upon generation. And this is how you and I got into the kingdom. Is not Christian superheroes doing all this stuff, but so many uh, everyday average normal people living faithfully, living out the mission of Jesus and making disciples. And you can read through church history and you can see slaves living this way and making disciples. You can see rich men and rich women 
living this way and making disciples. You can see young, you can see old, you can see men, you can see women, you can see people from this nation and that nation, regardless of the life circumstance and situation, this is something that every disciple is called to be a part of. And it's something that we all can do. It's a mission that gives our life meaning. It's a mission that gives our life purpose. It's a mission that's worth living for. That's what these disciples did and what disciples throughout church history have done. And it's a mission worth dying for. These 12 right here, they died. They were martyred. There have been many martyrs along the way. But listen to me. No one, you don't want to be martyred, but all of us are going to die over something. All of us are going to risk our lives on something. You may risk your life on your nutrition plan. You may risk your life on your stock portfolio. You may risk your life on whatever it may be. All of us are going to risk it on something. We just have the choice of what are we going to risk on. These disciples thought Jesus was worth risking on. Every one of us is going to die from something. Every one of us is going to spend our life on something. These disciples say, hey, this is the worthwhile thing. The mission of Jesus, this is what gives my life meaning to live and to die for. And that's available to you and to me. And it's just so exciting. It's amazing. This is a mission with, okay, if you're a high school student, you know, uh, there's going to, someone's going to be voted most popular, best looking. I guarantee you within three years, no one will remember who that was, except them. And then they'll quote it later in life. But but for the vast majority part, no one's going to remember that. But if you'll make disciples, if you're a junior and you'll find a sophomore or a freshman and you'll pour into them, you know what? They'll get it. And then they'll turn around and when they're a sophomore, they'll pour into a freshman. And then there's this discipleship chain that started disciples making disciples, making disciples that will transform your school, not just for a year, but for generations. If you are a college student, no one remembers who the school president was four years ago. No one remembers who uh, the valedictorian is of your class, even a week after it happens. Uh, No one remembers who the starting quarterback was six years ago or the university president was eight years ago, right? They're not going to remember. It's a blowaway to me that my dad taught in a university setting for 30-plus years, and now most of the people he worked with don't work there anymore. Like, he invested his whole life there. It's amazing. Right, but life is so temporary and transient and things move on. But college students, if you, in the midst of your economics degree, in the midst of your engineering degree, in the midst of being in this fraternity or that sorority, if you will make disciples there, if you'll look for people like this is talking about that you can disciple, you'll do the same thing. You'll see lives changed. And those lives will change lives. And those changed lives will change lives. And those changed lives will change lives on and on and on. If you're a young adult and you're called to uh, be a financial analyst at Capital One, you don't have to be a missionary wearing chacos around the world. You can be called to Dallas and make disciples. And you can do a good job at your job and you can enjoy it. And you can look for opportunities to leverage your life for the kingdom of God with the people that you're around. And it'll be something that's transformational and gives your life meaning. And whether the stock market goes up or down, your industry lasts or doesn't last, you still got something that you can carry with you. If you are a a young parent, oh man, you may be like, Zach, I've got three extra minutes between my work 
and my kids, I got three minutes a week. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I want to I I blow your mind here. Instead of thinking, oh man, I've been to the library, the children's section of the library, every weekend for eight years. That's probably true for me. How many times have I been to this park? How many times have we done this swing? Like, it can be monotonous. Any parents in here? Give an amen to that, right? How many diapers are we going to change? How many umi-zoomies are we going to watch? (sighs) Right? It can get very mundane. But if you will look at those children and you will think, I have an assignment to make disciples. God has placed me here, right? Then there's purpose in what you're doing. Because like, I'm not just getting through the day and trying to survive and really my life is over here. But no, I can shape these arrows that I've been entrusted with to live for purpose in their generation. Whoa, parenting has meaning. That's a lot more than just, hey, I hope we have fun and I hope my kid does good in school and good in sports. I want all those things for my kids. But there's a much higher calling to live for that influences and adds value to the everyday. Here's another diaper to change, another bottle to give. Amen. Maybe you're a little bit older. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe your kids are out of the home and you've got some extra time. What a wonderful thing to leverage your life on. What an amazing thing to spend your life on. Dana talked yesterday about spending, you know, kind of the early years of your life on Jesus. I want to challenge you. Let's spend all of our lives on Jesus. And let's leverage our lives to make disciples. Man, what an inheritance. It's amazing. It, guys, do you, get, do you get just how awesome this is? This is just amazing. Every single one of us can do this. Every single one of us. Our creator has redeemed us and has given our life meaning and a mission. A mission worth living for and a mission worth dying for. I just am so thankful. And I want you to taste and see this morning the glory of what you've received in Jesus. It's amazing. Um, We try and be a spirit-led church, and I'm about to close. Uh, We try and be a spirit-led church. What that means is we regularly take time to pray, to seek the Lord, to look for prophetic words. And and it seems like just about every year, around around the turn of the year, we receive one to two pretty, uh, pretty directional prophetic words. Sometimes they're a dream, sometimes it's a word. But it seems to lay out for us, okay, this is where the Spirit is leading us in the next year. In December of this year, I didn't share this in the first service. This is bonus for the second service. In, the, in December of this year, I had a dream. Normally it's not me. Normally it's other people. But this time it, it, it was me. And there was a, a gentleman who's on our church board. And he came to me, and he, say, he told me, he said, Zach, you need to realize that in February, it's harvest time. So you need to make sure that your people are aligned. And I woke up. This was in December. I was like, wow, okay. And I looked at the calendar. I was like, oh, world mandate. It's the first weekend in February. And I looked at our Luke preaching calendar. And I was like, huh, uh, that Luke 10, that, that passage that that's from, is the first weekend here in, in February, I didn't know that. I saw it was significant. I believe that the Lord is leading us by His Spirit into the harvest field. 
I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I want to make sure you're aligned with the purposes of God and you're equipped for what's in front of you. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through how to take this big, amazing, glorious idea of living on mission with Jesus, on making disciples, on building his kingdom, and we're going to break it down real small, baby steps, simple things that we all can do, that we can be equipped in this, and that we can begin not just to hear this and get excited about it, but to live it. And I'm telling you, I like to teach, but the best part of this is not thinking about it. The best part of this is actually doing it, and it has transformed my life, and I want you to experience it. And many of you have, but if you haven't, man, this is a great time. So I want to encourage you to be here each week this month as the Lord is equipping us and preparing us for the harvest, and we need to be aligned. So I want to invite you to stand. So exciting. I can get our prayer and prophetic team to come forward. Uh, we want to pray specifically after the service, offer prayer and prophetic ministry to anyone who wants it. But specifically, if you're here and you're a carpenter named Sam and you have a right knee pain, uh, we believe that the Lord wants to heal you. And if you have a nephew named Kyle that you've been concerned about, I believe that the Lord wants to speak to you and that he wants to save your nephew. And we want to pray specifically for you and anyone else who would like that. But I'm going to pray for all of us right now. So if you'll just extend your hands. Jesus, thank you that you give our lives mission. And that mission gives our lives meaning. We're just really grateful. What a high calling. What an amazing thing to be invited into. We don't have to go on the cereal aisle of life and just try and figure it out. But we can receive from you the mission for which you designed for us to know you, to become like you, and engage in your mission and building your kingdom and making disciples. Pray that you would help us to do that and learn how to do that and to be faithfully aligned to what you're doing this year in our lives, in our church, and in our city. In Jesus' name, amen.